Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. Your co-host is Shaq, but unfortunately, we had some issues, and Shaq couldn't be here today. We tried everything we could. Everything's still good between me and Shaq. I love my brother Shaq, and we'll get this figured out sooner than later. But it's going down this Saturday night, the trilogy between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. And uh, it's going down this Saturday night in Las Vegas, Nevada, at you know at the T-Mobile Arena, the trilogy is finally going to take place, and this is a fight that the first time they met in 2014, Conor McGregor knocked out Dustin Poirier in the first round. The rematch happened in 2021. Dustin Poirier knocked out Conor McGregor in the second round. Now they're going to settle their differences um, with a full crowd in attendance at the T-Mobile Arena. So it should be one hell of a fight. Uh, I'm going to break down this whole card start to finish. Uh, Y'all let me know what you think in the comments. And I'm very excited to talk about this car. Now, we got Shaq trying to pop in here. Let's see if it works. Uh, we'll, we'll give it a quick try. Um, but before we do that, I got to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Manscaped. So summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? You're in luck because our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard it right. That's 4.0. Compliment your summer bod with a trim from the leaders in male grooming. The sun is shining and calling your name, fellas. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with code BATTLE20. Now, guys, you don't want to hurt your balls while trimming. You got to be ready for short notice opportunities. I know all these guys wanted to fight O'Malley on short notice, but were they really ready? to fight O'Malley on short notice. Uh, so, you know, with Lawnmower 4.0, you can go out there and make 135 pounds on Friday and be ready because talk is cheap and you guys know that firsthand. It's time to bundle up with Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0, which is what I got in my hands right here, the trimmer. You got the Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer. You got the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner the performance boxer briefs, and the travel bag to hold your goodies. First off, the new performance package 4.0 includes the Lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is insane, and dare I say, the goat of ball trimmers. Yeah, I said it. And their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor and a new multifunction on-off switch, which can engage a travel lock and give you the ability to turn on the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. And did I mention that um, this trimmer is waterproof, too? So... Go ahead and shave in the shower, no big deal, or in the wild, and from your chest to your pubes all the way down to your ball fro, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the best trimmer for you. Want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker to chop your worst weeds up top your nose and ear, and the Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. That just sounds badass. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate spots. Seal the deal with Manscaped's liquid formulations. Before heading out, use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant to keep you on your game in the heat. Then after trimming the lawn and whacking the weeds in the heat, give your beach balls a boost and use Crop Reviver. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their performance package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers 
and the shed travel bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code battle20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code battle20 at manscaped.com. Escape, escape the shrubs and weeds this summer and shine with Manscaped. So, hell yeah. Let's let's get down to business, guys. Um, so someone said is Shaq no longer part of this podcast? Shaq is definitely still a part of this podcast. Uh, we just had a little bit of an issue. I don't mean like an issue, like a fight. I mean like a technological issue, which prevented him from being here. So once we get that figured out, we'll be good to go. But we weren't about to, you know, we weren't about to bullshit y'all, you know, for this show. So this is a huge show. We had to get down to business. And I'm going to do my best to give y'all the best analysis possible. And also my boy Shaq will uh, DM me his pick. So we'll get that going too. So first up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Alan Amadowski. He's eight and two. He's taking on Yao Zong Hu, who's three and two. Currently, they got Alan Amadowski minus one forty-five. The comeback on Hu Yao Zong is plus one twenty. So basically, this is a spot where uh, Hu Yao Zong is dropping two weight classes. His UFC debut against Cyril Asker was at heavyweight. His next fight against Rashad Coulter was at two hundred five, and then the this fight Saturday night is going to be a middleweight at 185 pounds. So you're about to see Hugh Yao Zong drop two weight classes from his UFC debut. With Alan Amadovsky, he's always been at middleweight, but he's kind of like one of the smaller middleweights on the roster. Alan Amadovsky currently training with Hamzat Chimaev and all the guys over there in Sweden. So to a lot of people, that seems like, man, he might come out here and dominate. I'm thinking of it as he's Hamzat Chimaev's uh, punching bag, you know, and then with Hugh Yao Zong, he's taking three years off, but Maybe that's a good thing for a young guy who's, you know, dropping 20 pounds for this current weight class, but 50 pounds overall, if you consider his UFC debut. And there were some things I liked about Hugh Yao Zong in that Rashad Coulter fight. Now, I understand Rashad Coulter might not be, you know, the best, the highest level fighter, but still, when you're fighting in the wrong weight class, power counts for a lot. And Hugh Yao Zong showed some nice body shots, some leg kicks, was just a little bit too green. That was the issue. So now he's now he's taking some years off and he's dropping a weight class. He's taking on Alan Amadovsky. And I know on paper it says that it's eight and two versus three and two. So you got to roll with the eight and two guy based off, you know, records on paper. But I don't think the records tell the whole story, man. I, I think that Amadovsky is one of the smaller middleweights. I think that he's probably one of the lower level middleweights as well. So this is a winnable fight for Hugh Yao Zong to get on track and get his first UFC win. I, I can't confidently pick him because this is, like I said, a very low level fight, but I think the size will play a big advantage. And if, you know, if he's leveled up and made some gains in this time off, I think that he can come out here looking way better. Whereas I think we've kind of seen the final uh, version of uh, Alan Amadovsky. So I'm going Hugh Yao Zong. My boy uh, Shaq just texted me his, his plays. He's actually got Amadovsky here. So he, he probably thinks that the experience will make a difference. And he probably thinks that Yao Zong doesn't belong. Because, I mean, look, he's only had five pro fights. So I, I completely understand, uh, you know, where, where he's coming from on that one. Anyways, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Zalgas Zumagulov. He's 13 and five. He's taking on Jerome Rivera, who's 10 and five. Currently, they got. Zalgas Zumagulov minus 350. The comeback on Jerome Rivera's plus 270. So I hear a lot of people talking about how this is a dogger pass situation, how you know Zalgas should never be minus 350. And like I get where y'all are coming from. Um, Zalgas has not been impressive whatsoever. And even in 
you know, some of his past fights, he gets bullied a lot. He's he's kind of a really small man. You know, he's he's a bit of a midget. I know in 2021, you can't use that word anymore, but we just used it right here, right now in half the battle. And when you talk about the opposite of a midget, you got Jerome Rivera, who's like one of the taller flyweights. He's 5'2". He's got the, actually not 5'2". He's 5'10". He's got the 72-inch reach. So aesthetically speaking, like Jerome Rivera looks like the much bigger man here. He is the bigger man here. And it seems like, man, he's got a lot of, a lot of advantages. Just the issue with Jerome Rivera is he's so damn timid. He like it seems like he's not quite convinced that he belongs like I, I don't give a shit what he says in his interviews. If you actually just watch his fights, it seems like he doesn't truly believe in himself at this level and, and it shows in the fight. So, look, he's got advantages here. Like if, if he leveled up his mental game and if he can keep this long, like, you know, there's a path to outpoint Zagas for the decision. I just don't think he's got the confidence to do that, man. And Zaga Zumagulov. You know, he's beat better guys than Jerome Rivera, okay? Like, he's actually gone out there on his regional scene and beat guys like Tyson Nan, beat Ali Bagautinov, beat Tajir Ulanbekov. Now, a lot of those fights were really close. A lot of those fights were a bit controversial. But the bottom line is that he's competing with those guys, you know? Jerome Rivera wouldn't be competing with those guys. Uh, point in case, he fought Tyson Nam. He got blown out the water, right? So I just kind of don't think that Jerome Rivera is on this, on this level at all. And when people talk about, well, it's two shitty guys, but one's plus 270 and one, I get, I trust me, I get that logic. It's just, I, I can't back Jerome Rivera in this spot. I really, I can't back Jerome Rivera to win a single UFC fight is basically where I'm at. So unless he's made significant strides and has leveled up his mental game, and just everything else, then maybe he's got a chance, but I just don't see that being the case. And I see Zaga Zumagulov outpointing him to a to a probably unanimous decision win here. Now, next up, oh, and let me tell you who Shaq has. Um, Shaq took Zagas as well on this one. Now, next up in the middleweight division. Now, this one's a tough one to call, in my opinion. We got Omari Akhmedov. He's twenty-one and five. He's taking on Brad Tavares, who's eighteen and six. Currently, they got Brad Tavares minus 170. The comeback on Omari Akhmedov is plus 140. So this is an interesting fight for a lot of reasons. And, and I'll tell you all why. Because firstly, Brad Tavares, a lot of his fights are super close. He's got a very good jab, good leg kicks. His takedown defense is probably the best part of his game. I mean, Brad Tavares is one of those guys. He can balance on one leg for a long period of time. And you might gas yourself out trying to take him down. And then from there, you know, we used to always call this guy Hawaiian Bisbing because he's got that point fighting style, but he's a tough Hawaiian. He's got a good jab. And then with Omari Akhmedov, Man, ever since he moved to middleweight, I feel like he made the right call. He's not having those brutal weight cuts. And every single fight he's had at 185 pounds has been a closely contested battle. So with that being said, if this is another one of those close wars, then there's value on the Akhmedov side. The part that I'm worried about is, you know, if he's coming out here trying to get that single leg, which he's got a beautiful single leg, or even transition to the double, Brad Tavares can make you work so hard. His takedown defense, his balance is so damn on point that I can see Omari gassing. But here's the one thing I'm worried about on the Tavares side. I know that a lot of Omari's fights have gone to decision. But he hits hard, man. Like, like when he swings those big bungalows, like I know the record says that he's not getting a lot of knockouts, but trust me when I tell you, he connects behind the ear, he connects on the temple, he connects on the chin, and you're going to feel those shots. So Brad Tavares, not, not sitting here saying that he's chinny or anything, but he, he has been knocked out more than once. He has been knocked down more than once. So, you know, there are chances for him getting hurt. But I would say the longer that this fight goes, the more it favors Brad Tavares. Um, 
But I understand the case for the Omari Akhmedov uh, underdog shot. And the reason being is that all his fights at middleweight have been have been this close these closely contested wars, these battles, these back and forth fights. And you give me plus 145 and he goes out there and has another one of those wars. I think that's a pretty honest bet. But if you're on the Tavares side, you're probably thinking that, dude, this guy's takedown defense is so damn good that. Omari Akhmedov is going to work as hard as he can. He's going to gas himself out. And from there, Brad can do the Hawaiian Bisbee. He can point. He can leg kick. He can circle around the cage, go out there and win the decision. So I am leaning a little bit towards Brad Tavares, you know, being the favorite and, and whatnot. And I know some sharp people on him as well. But I don't know. It might it might actually be a dog or pass situation. Might be because of how competitive all these Omari fights tend to be. So this is one that I'm kind of stumped on. Um, and my boy Shaq actually picked Omari in this spot, interestingly enough. Hey, tell me what y'all think uh, in the comments. I hope y'all are doing well. Listen, I got some time today, so if y'all want to talk, let's talk. We got my boy Nasty Nate in the house. Hey, half the battle. My boy Nate's going to war Saturday night for a belt. Uh, you know what I mean? So after we get this win, we'll have won three of our last four. We'll be ready for a short notice opportunity. And thank you to everybody else that's uh, in here in the chat with me. Uh, my boy, Ryan DeRosa, my guy, Dan, what's up? What's up, Ryan? Uh, I appreciate all y'all, man. Um, and John said, I'm on Brad. His takedown defense is amazing. And you went five with Adesanya. So the first part, I'm, I mean, well, everything you said is true. He did go five with Adesanya. He, he got his fucking ass kicked against Adesanya. But he definitely went five with him. His takedown defense is on point. Um so I'm just very curious how how this one goes down. How does he react to these clubbing shots to the ears and you know and, and stuff like that? How long does it take for Omari to to gas? Because it's not that Omari's this big gasser. It's more so that he works so damn hard in there. Like Omari ain't the kind to take breaks. That's why he's that's why he tends to slow down a bit. It's not that he's not out here running his miles. He's definitely running his miles. Look at the shape Omari's in. So I don't think that he's skipping a you know cardio day or anything like that. I think it's more of a case where. He works his ass off inside that cage. So that's pretty much uh, how it goes. Uh, my boy, Jong Hyung Ko, keep the fire burning, Dan. I, I really appreciate it. You keep the fire burning, man. You've been doing some great work. Keep it up. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Jennifer Maya. She's 18 and 7. She's taking on Jessica I, who is 15 and 9. Currently, they got Jennifer Maya minus 210. The comeback on Jessica I is plus 170. So this is another fight because... It seems to me like these last few fights, I haven't been seeing that same intensity from Jessica. You know, because firstly, she was out there beating Caitlin Chukagan, which is a huge deal in that weight class. I mean, because usually all these other girls, they get chuked. And when we say they get chuked, it's when Caitlin Chukagan, you know, she makes the tennis sounds. The judges got it 30-27. You're swinging and missing, you know, and all that. And then she also handed Vivian Araujo her first loss. So. Kate, um, Jessica, I was doing some big things in that division, but since the Valentina fight, let, let's see what the deal has been then. Well, she did pick up the Araujo win, like I mentioned, but the Cynthia Calvillo and Joanne Calderwood fight is not just the fact that she lost those fights. It's like, look, you can go out there and lose a hard fought battle and rebound. It's no big deal. It's that I didn't see that same spirit in those fights. I didn't see that same will. I didn't see that same want that I normally see out of eye since she's dropped to this weight class. And you know, it, she's had a long career, man. She's been fighting over 10 years. So if this is truly the end of her run, then, you know, thanks, Jessica. You've given a lot of great fights uh, and we've enjoyed watching your career. But Jennifer Maya, here's what I'm worried about. So firstly, she's in the best spot of her career, right? Like 
She went out there against Joanne Calderwood, finished her in the first round. She beat Roxanne Modafferi. She even won a round against Valentina Shevchenko, which like not a lot of people can say they they did. And she like held down Valentina for an entire round, was on top, which hey, you were like a plus seven hundred dog in that spot, and you won a round. So props to you. But I've noticed a lot of times when fighters come off that title loss. They, they kind of come back a bit of a deflated version of themselves, a bit of an unmotivated version. So I'm curious to see if Maya comes out here still as hungry because every fighter's dream is to be the world champion, right? And your dream gets crushed by Valentina. Where's the motivation at? So it's tough to see. It's tough to say. Um, and then with Jessica, I, she's coming off two straight losses. Is she fired up to get back in there? Or is this a case where, you know, her, her better days are behind her? So based off how they've looked lately, I'm going to go with Jennifer Maya. I think she's a bit stronger, but Jessica I is fully capable of surprising people. And she's done it many times. She surprised me against Caitlin Chukagan. She surprised me against Vivian Araujo. And then honestly, she surprised me on the opposite side of things in the Joanne Calderwood. And, um, what was the, what was the other loss I just mentioned? Sorry. I just slipped my mind. And, uh, oh yeah. And the Cynthia Calvillo fight, like she surprised me in the opposite of good way. You know, I was very surprised about how like unmotivated and unspirited she looked in those fights. So, She's kind of what we consider a hot and cold fighter. You don't really know which version you're going to get. Jennifer Maya, is she going to still look the same despite, you know, coming off the title loss? If Jennifer Maya looks like she did her last two fights, I got to go with Maya here. But again, if you're out here taking the dog shot on I, you know, you never know. You could win a split decision here. Like this is a close fight to call, in my opinion. So let, let's see. Let's see what happens. <laughs> my boy john kelly says would you say she no longer has the same look in her eye <laughs> hey so someone opened the door for this man hey shout out to my boy john kelly he's a good guy right there badass chess player too not a lot of people know that so uh you know i'm, I'm revealing some of your secrets man now next up in the middleweight division we got a matchup between drikus duplessis he's 15 and 2 he's taking on trevin giles who is 14 and 2 and real quick before i tell you all the odds on that my boy Shaq has uh, has Jennifer Maya in that fight. Now, currently, they got Drikus Duplessis, minus 115. The comeback on Trevin Giles is minus 105. So this is a, another interesting fight because Drikus Duplessis, look, it might not look the prettiest. He's not the most athletic guy. He's kind of on the slower side. But one thing about Drikus Duplessis that I can say the guy's got the touch of death in his hands. He's incredibly durable. I mean, he's like one of these guys, you'll be hitting him with a baseball bat. You'll be wondering why he doesn't go down. It's like the cockroach you stomp on and his legs are still fucking moving. That's Drika's Duplessis. You hit this guy with a baseball bat and then you wonder why he's smiling at you and he comes back and he knocks you out with a left hook. So Drika's Duplessis is extremely tough. And to take it a step further, in addition to the knockout power, he also has... Um, uh, opportunistic uh, finishing ability with his submissions. He's got a lot of guillotine wins, which has seemed to be seemed to plague uh, Trevin Giles and some of his losses as well. Now with Trevin Giles, definitely the more experienced guy as far as the UFC is concerned. He's got a lightning fast jab. He's very athletic. Um, he's been putting it together. He beat some really good guys on his regional scene too, not just in the UFC. You know, he beat Ryan Spann. He beat Brendan Allen. And now he's in the UFC doing his thing. So it, to me, it, it's one of these situations where I see the minutes being won by Trevin Giles. It's just a matter of, is he going to have that, you know, that one little air uh, airhead mistake, you know, that because he's the kind of guy that'll get off to a lead. And then in the middle of the fight, he'll just be like, woo. And, you know, he'll start doing some dumb shit. You start laying, you know, 
you lay chalk on a guy like that. Now, currently, he's the dog, so never mind. But I'm just saying, you, you start fooling around, you know, at the betting window with someone like that. He might be up to this big lead, and then he might get caught out of nowhere. And that those are the kind of things you got to worry about when you're betting a guy like Trevin Giles. Um, and then when Drica's Duplessis, it's just very misleading because – like I said, he doesn't look like the most athletic guy. He looks very slow. He looks kind of stiff out there. He's very hittable, but he's so damn tough and he'll stick in there and you give him that one opportunity to finish the fight and he'll jump all over it. So that's what that's what you got to look out for for Duplessis. So I understand having action on both sides. I understand taking both sides in DraftKings. I'm a, perf- I'm a personally lean towards Giles with that UFC experience and that speed, but Again, it's one of these situations where he can be winning the whole fight, starts getting a little cocky, starts getting a little carried away, and that's where Drikas Duplessis is fully capable of getting a bit of a comeback win. So I'm going to go with Giles, though, but let's see what happens. Uh, Shaq also has Giles in this spot. Now, I'm excited to talk about this featherweight fight right here. So someone just asked where Shaq at. We, uh, we uh, just, just scroll back to the beginning of the show. I explained what happened, but everything is all good between me and Shaq. Uh, just had a bit of a, a technology issue. They they didn't want him to be on the biggest card of the year for some reason. I don't understand why. I mean, like let like let it all work out for this card specifically. But it's all good. We'll, we'll get this whole thing figured out. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a match between Ryan the Wizard Hall. He's eight and one. He's taking on Ilya Toporia, who's ten and zero. Currently, they got Ilya Toporia minus two fifty. The comeback on Ryan Hall is plus two hundred. I like both these guys a lot. I bet on both these guys a lot. I mean, I bet on. Uh, on um Tuporia in his two UFC fights, he was like plus 160 against the law. And then he was minus 200 against Damon Jackson. That was easy work. And then on the Ryan Hall side, and bet him against uh Gray Maynard and against Darren Elkins, both at dog money. So uh, I fuck with Hall. Listen, I know that watching Ryan Hall, I know aesthetically uh speaking, it's not you know, the most pleasant thing to watch. He's flopping around the ground. He's doing all these things. Like, uh, and if you know, if you're some random drunk guy at the bar, you're probably like, why is this guy rolling around on the ground like a goddamn, you know? So I, I think that if you don't really understand what you're watching, that it's easy to like dismiss Ryan Hall. But man, he's a very dangerous guy, especially with that leg lock game. And, it, and it's easy to sit here and say, well, if he's so dangerous with his leg lock game, how come he's only submitted the ghost of BJ Penn? Well, all these other guys he's fighting are completely running away from him, and that's going to be the opposite here. Ilya Teporia isn't scared of any man on planet Earth, and Ilya Teporia is so damn confident in himself that I would not be surprised if Ilya Teporia actually engaged Ryan Hall in the grappling exchanges. And then from there, we'll get to find out exactly how good Teporia is. Look, Teporia is a black belt, too. He's been a black belt for a couple of years. But, you know, like we like to say, there's black belts and then there's black belts, right? So it would seem on paper that Ryan Hall might be levels above on the mat, but there's punches involved now. There's kicks. There's so who knows, right? Like um, I'm leaning towards Taporia here, man. Um, and I I love Ryan Hall. I respect his game a lot. Listen, his spin kicking game is on point, and he's also the kind of guy you get too close to him, and he's gonna flop to his back. He doesn't give a shit if the crowd's booing, and he's very very hard to hit. But I can see a guy like Taporia having the proper game plan to beat him. He's not gonna be a little bit too old and too slow like these other guys where. Man, like I, I, they don't trust their ability to scramble with Ryan Hall. I think this kid might trust his ability, and that could be a good thing or that could be a bad thing. It could be a bad thing because you trust your ability to scramble against a guy like Ryan Hall, and you know you might get that ACL torn. You might be out six months. On the other hand, uh, you know what happens when you survive against leg lock guys. You know you start grabbing their wrist, you start making them work, you start gassing them out. 
they start to question things a little bit. Now, I don't, I'm not under the impression that Ryan Hall is another Rusamal Pajares or or what's the name of that one fucking guy, Ian Entwistle. And the reason I bring these guys up is because they had a commonality, which was uh, first round or bust, leg lock or bust. They don't get that leg lock, then they kind of they cower away. They start to kind of quit a little bit. Ryan Hall doesn't seem to me like that kind of guy. You know, he's out here dropping people with spin kicks, and he um, he's winning third rounds of fights. So I don't think he's a quitter, and I don't think he's a first-round or bust guy. But what I do think is that unlike these other guys that have been fighting Ryan Hall, I think that Toporia can actually make him work, whereas, you know, Gray Maynard, you know, he was more focused on, you know, putting his hands up in the air and getting the crowd involved. You know, Darren Elkins is too slow for anything, right? So I think this is going to be an honest fight. I got to go with Tapori here to get this done. But it is obviously tempting. You see a number like plus 200 on a guy like Ryan Hall. You know that Taporia hasn't really been in there with anybody yet. Um, but Taporia has shown the goods, man. He's obviously shown the well-rounded skill. He can knock people out with one punch. Um, his grappling is on point. But the thing I noticed most is the kind of heart that Taporia has because in this fight right before his UFC debut on the regional scene he actually gets dropped with a head kick and right then and there we can see what kind of resolve the kid has going into the UFC it's a good litmus test to know how is he going to react in those bad spots so he gets dropped the kid gets right back up he ends up getting the takedown and he ends up knocking the guy out with one punch so kid's got the heart of a lion it's just when you have the heart of a lion and we're talking about heel hooks and leg locks you don't tap to that. Your shit's getting broken. You're, you're going to be out six months to a year. So that's what I'm most worried about. Um, also, you know, are we going to be greasing up before the fight a little bit just to make sure that he can't get these leg locks on us? Listen, if the, if the commission doesn't detect it, then who gives a fuck, right? Like, it's all good. Plus, you get a couple warnings with cage grabs before they deduct a point. So there's all kinds of ways to game the system. Um, I'm getting off on a different tangent. I'm going to go with Taporia here to kind of neutralize ryan hall but it's worrisome because you look at a number like that on a guy like like hall a plus 200 and i understand why it's tempting for a lot of people to take and especially with taporia's possible overconfidence he, he tries to engage on the mat but i think he might have the goods to neutralize a guy like hall so i'm gonna i'm gonna take taporia but it's um it, it's gonna be a tough fight yeah and uh my boy Shaq also took taporia there now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Nico, the hybrid price. He's 14 and 4. He's taking on Michel Demolidor Pereira, who's 25 and 11. Currently, they got Michel Pereira minus 155. The comeback on Nico Price is plus 130. So I know this is another one where it's like you see that dog money on Nico Price and instantly you're tempted because the guy is the definition of a dog. The guy is killer be killed. And in addition to that, he's been making improvements because what we used to talk about with Nico Price was that. Maybe the volume was a bit on the lower side, but he was such an opportunistic finisher. I mean, you're talking about a guy that <laughs> some of his finishes are so like emphatic that it's easy to call them uh, flukes. But how can you call it a fluke when like he's done it more than once? Well, I say someone said I always pick fighters from Georgia. You know that uh, Tapori is from the country of Georgia, not not ATL Georgia where I'm from, right? Like. He, he knows that, right? <laughs> but, uh, hey, maybe he's got a point because, I mean, it's tough to pick against a guy like Marab Dewalishwili, right? He wins almost every single fight. He's in. Hey, these guys from Georgia, the country of Georgia, they've been doing their thing. And our guys here in Georgia have been doing their thing too. So, man, maybe maybe you're on to something, my friend. But back to this fight. You cannot sit here and call these Nico Price finishes flukes. Like, it's easy to see that Randy Brown um, 
in that Randy Brown fight where he knocks him out from bottom and be like, oh, shit, that's a fluke. He'll never do that again. And then he goes and does a similar thing to James Vick. Then you look at the Tim Means knockout. Then you look at the Alex Morano knockout, the Alan Juban knockout. I mean, this guy is a knockout machine. And then the fights he loses, for the most part, for the most part, he's pretty damn competitive in them. Like the Jeff Neal fight. I remember I bet Jeff Neal in that fight. That was back when, you know, before Jeff Neal had the unfortunate health problems, back when Jeff Neal was the hot prospect at 170. And he dropped Jeff Neal. He gave me a big fucking sweat in that Jeff Neal fight. So, and the thing I like most, this is the point I was getting to, is that Nico Price was always known for these crazy finishes, but now he's putting up the volume too. These last two fights... He's been attacking from start to finish. So I love to see that kind of volume from a guy like Nico Price. And then with Michelle Pereira, with him, it's kind of a case where you see his UFC debut. He's out there doing backflips. He's doing the whole bit. He's getting like a video game type knockout. And I think it blew his head up so much that the very next, you know, he's got his first 50K bonus. Y'all know what happens when these fighters get that 50K bonus. They lose their minds. Um, so his very next fight, he comes out. He's got a 10-minute walkout. He's doing like 10 backflips in the walkout, and then he loses to a guy that doesn't even belong in the UFC and Tristan Conley. No disrespect. That's just my opinion. Um, and that fight wasn't even about what Tristan Conley did right. That fight was about what Michelle Pereira did wrong. They fight again, and Michelle Pereira is even 1% more focused, and Michelle Pereira is running through that kid. No problem. So I, I wouldn't even hold that loss against him. And I think it was a humbling experience because look how he's come back since. Even the Diego Sanchez fight, you know, hey, we, we got to stop fucking around. So. You look at how he looked against Imadayev. You look at how he looked against Chaos Williams. Now we're starting to see a dialed in and a focused Michelle Pereira, which is a scary thing because look at all the athletic tools and the different weapons he has at his disposal. So he already had all the goods. It was just about putting it together upstairs. Now I feel like he's doing that. Now someone's going to bring up how, well, Nico Price has had this volume edge these last two fights. I'm not convinced that Nico Price can get off on that same volume here against uh michelle Pereira, like I, I think that michelle Pereira could actually kind of you know land some big stuff some effective shots that kind of slow down the tempo of the fight and from there i do think that michelle is going to be landing the more effective shots it's just that you always got to be worried about that one hit or quitter from a guy like nico price you always got to be worried he's you talk about Lionheart. nico price has got that Lionheart. nico price has got i know he's been knocked out a couple times but he's got a fantastic chin too so it's just you know you're putting money against Nico Price. You just got you got to be worried about that opportunistic finish. That's really how he wins his fights, and it's a real thing. But I still think that Michelle Pereira is going to be controlling the dance and is going to be winning the minutes of this fight. And as long as he doesn't get caught with something, he's been caught in the past. But you know, granted, when he got caught, it was at 185 pounds. Now he's at 170. He's a big 172. Um, I, I gotta go with Michelle Pereira here to to win a either via knockout or uh, via decision. My boy. Uh, Shaq also has Michelle Pereira in that spot. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Max Griffin. He's 17 and 8. He's sticking on the natural the natural born killer, Carlos Condit, who's 32 and 13. Currently, they got Max Griffin minus 200. The comeback on Carlos Condit is plus 165. Man. If you would have told me that Carlos Condit was a plus 165 dog to Max Griffin a couple of years ago. I would have laughed in your face, and it would have been Max bet season. We would have been saying all these crazy things on the show. We would have made all these outlandish comments. You know, The fans would have been saying all these things. But, man, this is not a couple of years ago. This is now. So that, that's what makes it tough because 
it seems like the natural born killer, who's one of my all time favorite fighters, has seen better days. I understand he's on a win streak, but you know, he did kind of be two older men. And all due respect to Matt Brown, most most knockouts in welterweight history, most finishes in welterweight history, legend of the sport. And all due respect to Court McGee, he won the Ultimate Fighter back in the day. Interestingly enough, just a a useless fact. So. Carlos Conant has back-to-back -back wins over the only two guys in UFC history to die from heroin overdoses and come back to life. Court McGee and Matt Brown died and came back to life. Like those guys, like Matt the Immortal Brown. Immortal's a very fitting nickname. Carlos Conant just beat those two guys back to back. With Max Griffin, it's one of these cases where you know he's always kind of been like a 500 fighter, but it seems like he might be coming into his own now. I mean, he's got the the, the power, man. He hits very hard. He's a big boy. I mean, I remember when I bet Zaleski against Max Griffin, thinking it was going to be this walk in the park. And Max Griffin, you look at the numbers, it says there's two knockdowns in that fight. Both knockdowns were caused by Max Griffin. So he's someone that even in these fights that he's losing, like for the most part, he's at least fighting. He's fighting pretty damn competitive with all these guys. So you got to be careful. And then the other thing is that even in Condit's prime, his takedown defense was never the best because he comes from an era where you could hang out on bottom and elbow guys in the head and throw up submission attempts and this and that. And I mean, you can still try that in certain spots, but I feel like the game's evolved to where you can neutralize a guy like Condit now. But then there's the other thing where Griffin kind of tends to slow down in some of his fights. And I'm not sure if chinny is the right word because he doesn't get knocked out too much, but he does get rocked a lot. So it's one of those things where uh, this is a tough one to call, man. Um, I think Max Griffin by decisions, probably how it ends up uh, playing out. But, you know, with these with these old grizzled vets, like they got these tricks up their sleeves. And right when you think they're done, that's when they surprise you with something and they can go out there and beat the young gun. Not that Max is some kid in his 20s because he's like 35, 36. So not that he's some young gun, but he's definitely more of a young gun than than Condit. Right. So uh, it, this is a this is a very tough fight to call. Just, you know, as a fan, I got to go with Condit, and I know that this that's not what y'all want to hear. I know that who gives a fuck who you got as a fan and this and that. I mean, I, you know, I grew up watching this guy in high school, would come home and watch the WEC. So I got all the love for Condit, and I really respect what, Ma what Max Griffin's been doing. He's been fighting tough guys. He's been improving his game. So I, I, I think I understand why Max Griffin is favored here. He probably should be favored, but... I'm going to I'm going to edge Conda to do something sneaky and upset a lot of people. And I, I don't know how, though. So this is a very illogical breakdown of this fight. You know, it's probably going to go to Max Griffin by decision, right? He's probably going to get a lot of top control, avoid the subs, not get clipped on the feet and grind this one out. But um, just, uh, you know, got to got to show respect to the legend. So I'm going to go with Conda. My boy Shaq has Max Griffin in this fight. Max Griffin's probably the side here, but let's see. Let's see. I'm I'm not quite done with Condit. Like there was a point where I was fading Condit in a lot of fights. Like I max bet him against um I max bet against him um in the Alex Oliveira fight. And Condit gave me a sweat. Remember when he took uh when he took Oliveira's back and almost choked him out? I was like, God damn. So he still has a little like he still has a little fight in him. He's just, you know, a couple steps back from what he used to be, if that makes sense. Like still has the technique, still has all that stuff is just a little slower than he used to be. My issue with Max Griffin is that, like, I feel like Max has all the tools to win this fight, but he could get clipped with something. He can exert so much energy and gas out. Like, Max makes certain mistakes in the fight that that's why I'm worried about trusting him at a price like this. So I understand why Max is favored. I'll slightly lean Condit, but 
let's see. You know, it's not the most confident pick in the world. Now, speaking of the opposite of not confident, we got a bantamweight match between Sean O'Malley. He's 13 and one. He's taking on Chris Mutino, who's nine and four. Currently, they got Sean O'Malley minus 900. The comeback on Chris Mutino is plus 600. So there's a lot to talk about with this fight. You know, normally a minus 900, we get it out the way, but there's a lot to talk about here. Firstly, this whole thing about Sean O'Malley ducking fights. Firstly, you all got to understand, I'm not even a big O'Malley fan or anything, so I'm not sitting here defending him or defending his honor. Like, honestly, I think that some of the shit he's been saying is absolutely stupid, and he's got that yes man in his corner. Like, when I hear O'Malley talking, people are like, this is the next McGregor. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> McGregor is a super intelligent guy. Uh, O'Malley is not the next McGregor. However, O'Malley is going to whoop this kid's ass. Um... And it's just a case where, you know, people are like, well, why didn't he take the Ricky Simon fight? Look, it's it's easy to say you want a fight, but saying you want a fight means that on Friday you're going to come in at 135 pounds. Ricky Simone was not able to make 135 pounds. You got a guy like Kelleher saying he wants the fight and didn't get it. Like, Brian, like when you're Montel Jackson fight, you missed weight. They had to reschedule it. And then funny enough, when they reschedule it, when they rescheduled it, Montel actually missed weight. Then you got a guy like Marab saying, why didn't I get the fight? It's like, Marab. You're scheduled to fight Marlon Marais in October. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? So, you know, it's easy to go on the internet and try to get some cloud and act like O'Malley, you know, was scared to fight you and this or that. But to to actually act like O'Malley calls shots, like, so you're implying that O'Malley got on the phone and was like, Dana, let's just sign some random undefeat. Excuse me. Let's just sign some random nine and four guy that no one's ever heard of. And I'm going to knock him out like. Guys, that's not how this shit works. You got a list of names that could make 135. And actually, I heard he got offered a worse opponent than Mutino because <laughs> not that many people were willing to make 135 on a week or two notice. That's just like how this shit goes. Like these weight cuts are serious, man, especially at 135. Like when you're getting close to the 135s, the 125s, excuse me, when you're getting close to 135, 125, you're talking about the brink and the edge of your body fat. So those weight cuts are more extreme than any of the other weight cuts in the sport, especially 25s, but 35s too on short notice. Like these guys like walk around like 165, 170, and you want him to make 135 on a week notice. So I personally think that Ricky Simon and Brian Kelleher, even Marab, who I respect so much, I think they were just getting a little clout, trying to act like O'Malley scared of them. Look, do I think that, Simone and Marab are tough matchups for O'Malley. Yeah, I do. But I never think I never thought that there was a possibility of them stepping in for this specific fight. Like they can't make weight in time. So like, why is that even a discussion? But back to this, look, Chris Mutino props to him for stepping up. You know what I like about Mutino? He's actually exciting. Like, listen, he's not going to come out here and try to put his head between O'Malley's legs. He's not going to come out here and boo the crowd or any bullshit like that or make the crowd boo. Excuse me. He's going to come out here and fight like a man and probably get knocked out and, you know, get another fight after that. Like one thing about Mutino, he comes to bang and as a result, he gets dropped in a lot of his fights. So he's going to probably get dropped here. It's either going to be a knockout or a submission for O'Malley. Like I could see O'Malley dropping him and then, and then Mutino, you know, tries to get a, a desperate takedown, gets guillotined or something like that um, or the one punch knockout. And 
Butino is not much of a leg kicker, so I don't see him kind of chopping down O'Malley and and you know targeting that weakness that we've seen. Because look, here's the issue with laying minus a thousand on O'Malley. Like I think he's going to win easily, but when you're talking minus a thousand, we got to address every single factor. And O'Malley's been injured in more than one fight. I'm not just talking about the Cheeto Vera fight. What about the Andre Sukumtut fight? And if Andre Sukumtut had two higher points on his IQ, he would have made O'Malley stand back up, and he would have won that fight. But you know, we always make the joke that O'Malley's the uh, excuse me that Sukumtut's that one guy that you know you, you don't you don't look on his exam uh you don't you don't cheat off his paper during the exam in school you know what i mean we ain't looking at andre's paper during the exam you know he ain't the brightest so it was what it was but i, I just don't think mutino's got the goods or the physicality to to really give o'malley too many problems so o'malley walks through this and then after that then we can make discussions about fading o'malley against a real opponent um but again, let's not sit here and act like he ducked Ricky Simone. And then there's, oh yeah, and I forgot to mention this. Cody Stamen was like, oh, I want the fight, but it has to be at 145. It's like, Cody, since since when do you call shots like that? Not only are you coming off a loss, but like no one knows who Cody Stamen is. Like I respect Cody Stamen. I know who Cody Stamen is, but no one else knows who he is. So it's like, why would you volunteer? Why would you throw your name in the hat and then say 145? Like you know damn well O'Malley's fighting at 135. So. It's all talk with these guys, but uh, yeah, I got O'Malley to get this one done, and we can make talks uh, in his next fight about potentially fading him. I'm not even going to look at Shaq's pick. I know he's got O'Malley here. There's, I'd, I'd be shocked if he picked uh, Mutino. Next up in the Bantamweight division, now, I think some of y'all going to be surprised by my pick here. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Irena Aldana. She's 12-6. and six. She's taking on Yana Kunitskaya, who's 14-5. and five. Currently, they got... Irena Aldana minus 120. The comeback on Yana Kunitskaya is plus 100. So I know a lot of people are on Irena Aldana here. I know a lot of people are very confident in Irena Aldana here. I'm not one of those people. I'll tell you why. So with Yana Kunitskaya, her biggest weakness is when people get on top of her, she has a very hard time getting back up. Now, her on top is a different story. But when you get on top of Yana Kunitskaya, that's where you go ahead and, and win the fight. Well, Irena Aldana doesn't shoot any takedowns, so that means that this is going to be a stand-up fight. And in a stand-up fight, Yana Kunitskaya has got some goods, man. And not only that, you, you look at how many strikes per minute Irena Aldana eats. Over a nine-fight sample size, Irena Aldana gets hit six times per minute. And before anyone's like, oh, that's just screwed because of the Holly Holm fight. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's fucking not. I will right now, right here, right now on half the battle, I will list you three other fights where Rene Aldana got hit over 100 times. Leslie Smith, she got hit 169 times. Caitlin Chukagan, she got hit 105 times. Lucy Pudalova, she got hit 105 times. Um, and then Holly Holm, she got hit 154 times. So no one dare tell me that those numbers are skewed because of the Holly Holm fight. Because I just listed you three other examples where she got hit uh, over a hundred times in the fight. So you're telling me basically that Yana Kunitskaya is fighting a punching bag, and I know that's like, oh my god, you're disrespecting your Rene Aldana. No, I'm not. I like your Rene, but the numbers say that she gets hit six times per minute, and we got a nine fight sample size to prove that. And she doesn't shoot takedown, so Yana doesn't really have much to worry about in that department. So what Yana's got to worry about is getting outstruck. It's just the good news is that Irene Aldana blocks punches with her face, so the counter's going to be there all day. I think this is a pick em fight, so you're giving me dog money on one side. I got to go with Yana Kunitskaya to come out here and get this decision win for the upset. So Yana Kunitskaya is my pick here. And Shaq, uh, Shaq actually went with Irene. Uh, I, I wish he was here right now so we could have had a little back and forth, but... 
Listen, I'm sure most of y'all got a Rena too. I'm going with the dog here. I'm going with the Anna Kunitskaya. I think that um, I think that my girly Rena gets hit too much. Period. Point blank. All right, featured bout. Here's where things get interesting. Middle, uh, see, not middleweight, heavyweight division. We got Ty Tuivasa. He's twelve and three. He's taking on Greg Hardy, who's seven and three. But between you and me, he's really eight and two because you know he beat Alan Crowder. He got DQ'd, but we all know he won that fight. So we're gonna go with eight and two on the on the Hardy side. Currently, they got Ty Tuivasa minus one forty. The comeback on Greg Hardy is plus one fifteen. Good fight. Really, really good fight. And I'm glad they're still testing Greg Hardy against some tough guys. And Tui Vasa starting to cut his teeth in the UFC as well. So basically, Tui Vasa has kind of got that Mark Hunt style of striking. You know, big left hooks, big leg kicks, um, you know, good, good breaks off the clinch, nice elbows. And, you know, you start to stand and bang with a guy like Tai Tuivasa. And, I mean, he can chip down on you. He can knock you out with one punch. You definitely got to be worried. The ground game, there's definitely some questions about uh, the ground game there with, uh, with Tai Tuivasa. But I'm not exactly convinced that Greg Hardy is the guy to expose that. One thing about Greg Hardy... I mean, amazing athlete. He's got size. He's fucking huge. He's like six foot five. He's a big boy. Um, but for being such a big boy, it's not really like a one hit or quitter type thing with Greg Hardy. I mean, don't get me wrong. Against the right opponent, he's going to starch them. But for the most part, he's actually kind of developed a bit of a volume style. And he's a bit of a point fighter, which, which I, I like. Um, you know, he's going to win a lot of decisions. And it's cool to see. It's just that there's there's a limit and a cap to how much output a guy like Greg Hardy can have, you know, there's definitely a cardio issue there. Um, I'm not sure if it's because, you know, he might have like, I don't know if he's got asthma or what the deal is. You know, you guys remember the inhaler, the inhaler issue, but it wasn't just that one fight with the inhaler. It's also some of these other fights, even the Maurice Green fight, which he, he destroyed Maurice Green. But you start, you started to see in that second round, my boy, Greg, if that fight got extended a little bit longer, he was huffing and puffing that Marcin Tybura fight. Greg did really well early, but in that second round, he straight up said no mas. He literally had nothing left in the tank and covered up and let the ref intervene. Like the, he showed zero fight in that second round, and that was just alarming because with Tuivasa, it's like, yeah, there are holes in Tuivasa's game, but you got to get him to that point. And it just seems to me like you know we take away all the power, we take away all the technique, we take away all those things, and when we just talk about who's willing to dig deeper. And I truly do believe that Ty Tuivasa is willing to dig deeper. But in addition to that, I think he's got better technique. I think he's got more volume. I think he's got more experience against higher-level competition. Now, when I when I say that, uh, I'm fully aware that Greg Hardy went in there and went the distance with Volkov and went in there with Marcin Tybura. But Tuivasa has been in there with two champions. You know, he beat Arlovsky. He had a main event with Junior Dos Santos. Like, those are two former champions. So it's one of these things where... Greg Hardy is definitely live in the early going, but as the fight progresses, I do think that the technique and just the will to win, the gas tank of Tuivasa is going to make the difference here. And I, and I do have Tuivasa uh, down the stretch, but I've seen some sharp people on Greg Hardy, and I understand why. I mean, like, Greg Hardy has come through many times at Dog Money, and Greg Hardy is a guy that people hate on him because of the outside the cage shit, so it's easy to get emotionally invested and just want to pick against him every fight and do all these things, but I'm not even focused on any of that shit. Like, I, I could care less. To me, it's about Tatu Ivasa versus Greg Hardy. Who's going to win? Where's the value at? This and that. I do believe that if they get into a battle of wills, you got to go with Tuivasa. I think that he can chop him down with those leg kicks. And and like I said, there's a cap on how much volume um, 
a guy like Greg Hardy can throw in a three round fight. So as long as you know Tuivasa doesn't get clipped or doesn't get finished, you know, in the early going. I really do think that he can win that second and third round and get this decision, uh, possibly get a finish along the way. So my pick will be Tuivasa, and uh, it looks like Shaq's also got Tuivasa in this fight. Co-main event of the evening. Real quick. Let me, let, me, let me talk to the fans real quick. My boy Billy said he loves the shirt. Hey, represent the old school Nick Diaz. I appreciate that, my man. Let's see. Let's see what else y'all are saying. Before, I'm going to talk about the co-main event and the main event. Um, but if y'all got anything y'all wanna y'all wanna tell me right now, let's talk, man. Okay, uh Key Grow says, can Hardy take Tuivasa down? Um, well, let's let's see. How many takedowns has Greg Hardy landed in his UFC career? So he landed one against Maurice Green. And that's it. So basically, according to the numbers, Greg Hardy doesn't really attempt takedowns. So and the other thing with that is attempting takedowns that takes a lot of energy we know that there's already a bit of a cardio issue on the hardy side so he comes out here trying to you know get takedowns and if he doesn't get it then i could see his demise coming a lot sooner now however you get a guy like greg hardy you know 265 pounds or whatever the hell he weighs you get him on top of you well that's a different story that's where he can kind of drain the energy out of tuivasa it's just getting there is where i'm struggling to see you know that happening my man so i probably i think he probably doesn't get uh get him down all right let's talk about this co-main event of the evening co-main event of the evening in the welterweight division we got gilbert Dorino burns he's 19 and 4 he's taking on steven wonderboy thompson who's 16 4 and 1 currently they got steven wonderboy thompson minus 160 the comeback on gilbert Dorino is plus 135 what a what a co-main event right um great fight you know they're they're trying to peg it as striking versus jujitsu you know wonderboy being the striker gilbert drino being the jujitsu guy but i mean you know gilbert drino's got one hitter quitter in his hands too excuse me wonderboy has been he's been knocked out and he's also been dropped on other occasions so you definitely got to look out for that one punch knockout power of gilbert drino it's definitely going to be there and that's actually my biggest concern even though his biggest edge is actually on the mat um you know Dorino is a disgusting black belt. I mean, we're talking like one of the best black belts in the UFC. But I'm not quite sold on his takedown ability to get it there at this level. Not, don't get me wrong. Against other guys, like one body lock and, you know, that's all she wrote. But here at, at this level, like it seems to me like Wonderboy's had good takedown defense for a very long time. And he's also extremely tough. Like I know he's got the reputation. Oh, he's a pretty boy. He's this, he's that. But like. Wonderboy is a dog, man. Don't let the fact that he's a very well-educated guy and he's, you know, he speaks well and he, you know, he teaches kids. Don't let that fool you. Like Wonderboy is a savage, man. Like you saw that fight against Woodley. And we're not talking about, you know, shot Woodley. We're talking about Woodley in his prime. Remember when Woodley hopped on that guillotine? Like that shit looked like it was about to rip Wonderboy's head off, and Wonderboy didn't tap. Like Wonderboy is a dog. Wonderboy is a savage, man. So got a lot of respect for him. I, I really think for Wonderboy to lose this fight, he's got to be put unconscious. He's got to be knocked the fuck out. He's got to be choked out. He's got to be put away because the minutes of this fight are going to be won by Wonderboy. Wonderboy is going to be picking apart at Gilbert Dorino Burns until he either gets his arm raised or until he gets caught with an opportunistic finish somewhere along the way. So that's really how I see this fight going. It goes 15 minutes. I mean, I'm pretty convinced Wonderboy wins. It's just... There are some scenarios where uh, Burns can win the decision, and those scenarios are this. 
Wonder Boy is kind of picking him apart and then gets dropped, you know? So even if Wonder Boy outstruck him that entire round, the fact that he might have got dropped, well, now the judges are going to score that round for Dorino. Let's say Wonder Boy is picking him apart and gets taken down, gets his back taken, but survives. Well, it doesn't matter that he was outstriking him the whole round. He got his back taken. You know, Chris Lee, Adelaide Bird, you never know who they're going to score it for. So there's like little moments that Dorino can have that can sway the judges. However, the minutes of this fight are going to be controlled by Wonderboy. Wonderboy is going to be the one, you know, throwing those sidekicks to the leg, popping that jab, trying to go upstairs, you know, slowly but surely picking him apart. So I got to go with Wonderboy as the pick, but. Obviously, I respect the opportunistic finishing ability of a Gilbert Durino Burns. But then again, you know, he is coming off that title loss. And we talk about this a lot. That first fight back from the title loss, like, you know, the title is your biggest dream. Your dream is to be a UFC world champion. And when that dream gets crushed, I'm very curious, you know, how you rebound from that. Like, guys sometimes take a fight or two before they're fully themselves again. Like, has Durino had enough time to recover and you know, truly feel like, hey, like I'm back. I'm confident again. I can be a world champion. Like, I'm very curious what his mindset is like. Cause Wonder Boy, he's proven to himself since that, you know, Pettis knockout that, hey, he can still beat these young up and comers. You saw what he did to Vicente Luca. You saw what he did to Jeff Neal. And one thing I've always had a criticism for in terms of Gilbert Dorino, look, his toughness, his jujitsu, his one, one punch knockout power. I'll, I'll never say anything about that. It's his striking defense that I have an issue with on the Gilbert Drino uh, side. And this is not something new. I've always, like even back at 155 pounds, there was always something about his striking defense. He gets hit way too much. Getting hit way too much against a guy like Wonder Boy is not going to be a good thing. So Dorino needs to have, you know, that moment where he drops Wonder Boy and, you know, steals the round that way or potentially finishes the fight. Because if that doesn't happen, he's losing the decision or potentially getting finished. So, Wonder Boy is the pick, um, but again, he's got to be very disciplined because Doreen Hose is, is, is an extremely dangerous guy and an, a very opportunistic guy, a very smart guy too. So Wonder Boy's got to be on his game, but if he is, I think he wins this fight. All right, y'all, it's that time. Y'all ready for this? It's time to talk about the fight. Main event of the evening in the lightweight division. We got the diamond, Dustin Poirier. He's 27 and 6. He's taking on the notorious Conor McGregor, who's 22 and 5. Currently, they got Dustin Poirier minus 125. The comeback on Conor McGregor is plus 110. First of all, just off the top, I will say that I'm surprised. Where, where are all the Conor fans at, man? He used to have so many goddamn fans that they would just come to Vegas, steam that line, and I could be getting my dog money on. Uh, on Dustin Poirier here, but looks like that's not going to be the case. But listen, let's just get this out the way. McGregor's a legend of the sport. First, uh, first simultaneous champ champ. You know, obviously, BJ Penn, Randy Couture, they had belts in two different weight classes, but McGregor was the first to do it at the same time. Now, Henry Cejudo was the first to defend both at the same time. So, you know, you got to give a shout out to my boy, Triple Goat, Triple C. But look, McGregor is such a legend. And you know, what he did for this sport, I will always be grateful for. All the eyes he put on this sport. And even in his come up, man, like you'd listen to him talk and everything he said was so intriguing. His fighting style was unique. And Connor just brought something different to the table and no one could fuck with him back then, man. You look at that resume. I mean, wins over Aldo, wins over Holloway, wins over Eddie Alvarez. Like 
Conor McGregor has done the thing, man. So I, I tip my cap to him, and I'm grateful for everything he's given to the sport. Now, Dustin Poirier, on the other hand, I think he's one of the most exciting fighters in UFC history. When he made his UFC debut and he filled in for Josh Grisby, you know, it was originally supposed to be Josh Grisby fighting Jose Aldo for the title. And, you know, Aldo pulled out of the fight, which he is known for. And uh, they they called this kid, Dustin, some random kid, Dustin Poirier, who was one and one in the WEC to step in. And when I tell you that Dustin Poirier put an ass whooping on Josh Grisby, like Josh Grisby was a guy that like, like I said, he had a fight with Aldo book. Like people were talking like he was the number one contender. When Poirier whooped that boy, he was never the same ever again. He lost his next three fights, ends up getting arrested. Let's see becomes a fucked up person like Poirier will mess you up man um so that was my first impression of Poirier and I was like damn I'm a fan of this guy but back to McGregor look his style uses a lot of energy because he comes out there firing out the gate trying to get you out of there which is what we love to see I mean you're not going to see Connor put his head between a man's legs unless he's tired and gets clipped but for the most part he's out here uh doing his thing and you just love to see great strikers but there's so many like misconceptions about their second fight. And I say their second fight because for those that don't know, they fought in 2014 and Connor actually stopped Poirier in the first round. I even bet on Connor in that fight. That's like the only time I've ever bet against Poirier. So, you know, thanks, Connor. But th this is a completely different uh, era of the sport. They say 2014, this is 2021 now, right? So, it, listen, in their second meeting, there's this whole story about the calf kicks being the story of the fight. And it's like, I'm not. Listen, the calf kicks were great. Don't get me wrong. The calf kicks were on point. But why are we only talking about the calf kicks? Why are we not talking about the check right, the check right hook that caught Connor followed by a 10 to 20 punch combination? Like That's not calf kicks. Those are punches. Why aren't we talking about that early takedown? Why aren't we talking about the clinch work? Why aren't we talking about the proper pacing of Dustin Poirier and making McGregor work? Because you make McGregor work. And one thing about McGregor, he's got all the... He's got all the tools, the arsenal, this and that. He's precise. He's accurate. He's fast. He's powerful. But he ain't really the toughest, man. Like if McGregor ain't exactly the guy that's going to come back from a knockdown. McGregor ain't exactly the guy that you take his back and then he's going to come back and win the fight. McGregor has to be controlling. He's got to be leading the dance. He's got he's to be kind of bullying you to win the fight. Like McGregor is not the kind of guy to overcome adversity. And it's funny as hell because I know exactly what people are going to say in the comments. They're going to be like, oh, he doesn't overcome adversity? Well, how about that Chad Mendes fight? Well, let's talk about that Chad Mendes fight. So in your opinion, overcoming adversity is getting laid on and, oh, you ate one elbow and got cut. That, that That's the adversity people talk about when they talk about Connor overcoming adversity. He got laid on for a couple minutes and ate an elbow and got cut. Like, that's the over, that's the adversity he's overcome. Or I've seen Dustin Poirier overcome getting wobbled in fights, getting dropped and coming back to win fights. Like, that's overcoming adversity, not, you know, a little midget laid in your guard and landed an elbow. And we're going to act like, oh, that's coming back. Uh -huh. No, it's not. Um, and then the Diaz fight, people talk about the second Diaz fight, like Connor overcame adversity. Firstly, the way the second Diaz fight went down was Connor dropped Diaz like three times, then Connor gassed out, then Diaz took over. So actually it was Diaz that overcame adversity, not McGregor. So listen, McGregor, if he gets this done early, that's his best way. But you already know those deep waters, McGregor does not do well in the deep waters. But just because he has his most success in the early going, don't sleep on Poirier in the early going. Poirier's got the most knockouts in UFC lightweight history. Like Poirier, just because he doesn't have the same name as McGregor doesn't mean that he's not 
you know, levels above him because, you know, if, if there's a submission attempt in this fight, I believe it's going to be Poirier submitting Connor. If there's takedowns in this fight, I believe it's going to be Poirier taking down Connor. Now, if there's a knockout, that could go either way. But then we got to talk about output because, you know, um, what happens if there's no knockout early on? What happens if this is a true, honest battle that goes five rounds? Well, let me tell you what kind of output Dustin Poirier has. Go watch that Justin Gaethje fight, and it only lasted to the fourth round, but Poirier attempted over 300 strikes in that Justin Gaethje fight. Go watch the second Max Holloway fight, which went all five rounds, and you talk about you know Max Holloway being the output king of the UFC. And Dustin Poirier matched that output for five straight rounds, man, so... The output's not an issue. The gas tank is not an issue on the Dustin Poirier side. All that is an issue on the McGregor side. So, and then you take it even a step further. How does Connor come back from being knocked the fuck out six months ago in terms of his confidence and in terms of his chin? Because Connor is one of those guys with the aura of invincibility. He can't be touched. He's a god. He's this, he's that. Well, the god just got knocked the fuck out six months ago. How's his iron jaw now? How's his confidence? It's got to be diminishing. How, do, how does he react knowing that, hey, this guy puts you on airplane mode, you know, to quote Dustin Poirier, right? Now let's talk about something else. So since 2016, because, excuse me, one second. Let's talk since 2016. Because in 2016, that was when Conor McGregor uh, beat Eddie Alvarez and became the champ champ. And 2016 was also when Poirier got knocked out by Michael Johnson, right? So since that point where McGregor won the champ champ status and Poirier got knocked out by Michael Johnson, what has happened since that point? McGregor has gone one and three and has been finished in those three losses. I'm including Floyd. Look, it was head strike, so I'm including it. He got knocked out. Poirier is seven and one since since uh, 2016. So it just seems like their careers have gone in opposite directions. And now you're seeing McGregor do all this questionable shit outside the cage. Like, and I don't really even want to talk about the bus incident or him hitting an old man at a bar. But all I know is that, you know, people talk about the old Conor McGregor. The old Conor McGregor would have never been caught dead doing some shit like that. And people say the old Conor McGregor is back. No, he's not. When Conor McGregor used to talk, People would listen. When Conor McGregor used to talk, it would be like, wow, like this is the most quotable guy ever. Like this is like an inspirational guy. Like you just want to hear what he has to say. Like now the shit he's saying, is just, it just sounds forced. It sounds like a shell of the man that he used to be. Like you, you see him, you know, oh, he posted the DM with with Dustin Poirier's wife. And it's like, like, am I supposed to like feel a certain like way about that? People are like, the old Conor is back. It's like, no, he's not. He's not even remotely close to being back. The old Conor. He'd like he'd say the most memorable shit. He'd say the funniest shit. He'd he'd go out there and back it up. And now you just see a guy who is completely in denial, man. So, you know. So, but one thing I will say that that Connor's done better than Dustin since 2016. You got to give him credit. Connor's made more money than Dustin since 2016. So hey, he's laughing all the way to the bank. In terms of who's made more money since that point, despite going one and three on the Connor fight on the Connor side, and despite going seven and one on the Poirier side since 2016, Connor's made more money than than Dustin. So you got to congratulate him there. But since 2016, Poirier's achieved more glory. Poirier's achieved more respect. So what do you, what do you value more, right? And then the last thing I want to say, McGregor isn't doing media for this fight besides fight week, and normally. 
McGregor was the media machine, you know, and he's not even on the early embedded episodes. And I, and I know that's by choice. And McGregor used to be the kind of guy that he used to preach. If you go back and you hear his old interviews back when back when he was the real old Connor, not this fucking forced bullshit. Connor was the kind of guy that would be like, it's a completely different ball game with all the media obligations, all the stress. It's not just showing up at the gym no more. And now he's the guy who's not doing the media anymore and is only going to do media on fight week. And he's the guy that's cowering away. And, you know, he was the guy that used to be like, you know, remember when he talked about Joe Duffy, he called him a journeyman. He's like, he changed teams. He, he moved countries. You know, it's like, you know, that's a sign of a journeyman. It's like, well, that's what Connor's doing now. He's moving countries. He's doing all these things. So. I'm on the Poirier side here, man. Listen, I wish it was dog money, of course, but you beggars can't be choosers right now. You can't be greedy about it. It makes sense, but I'm hoping that this Connor money comes in at some point here. We can get dog money on Poirier, but Poirier honestly should be favored because down the stretch, he wins. If this hits the mat, he wins, and we know he can knock out McGregor too. And it's not as simple as oh McGregor finding a solution for the calf kicks. You got to find a solution for the calf kicks. You also got to find a solution for that check right hook. You got to find a solution for what happens down the stretch because Poirier's got better cardio than you. You got to find a solution for the takedowns, the clinch work, like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm gonna go with Dustin Poirier. I'm gonna say this time by submission. Look, last time was a knockout. I'm gonna say this time he submits uh, Conor McGregor because you know you you look at their Khabib fights and like. When uh when Poirier fought could be man that choke was locked in so deep that if Poirier didn't tap out he was gonna go to sleep. You look at Connor's fight with Khabib like we only talk about him tapping out to a, to something that wasn't even locked in. What about let's talk about Khabib going out there and dropping Connor? So is there? Let me ask you all something. Is, is Connor's chin uh, diminishing a little bit? What about that Floyd fight? You know, listen, I know Floyd's the best boxer of all time. Floyd was never known for his knockout power. Floyd was out there rocking his shit. Khabib was never known for his knockout power. Khabib was out there dropping McGregor. Now, Poirier does have the most knockouts in lightweight history, and he knocked him out too. So I think don't be surprised if that durability on the Connor side is starting to slowly go down. And with Poirier, it's been the opposite. Ever since he moved up to 55s, he's been putting on that size. He's taking shots a lot better. So I'm going Poirier here to get this done. That opportunistic check right hook, the calf kicks, the takedowns, the clinch work, Basically, Connor, I mean, basically, Dustin, don't get knocked out in the first seven to 10 minutes and you win, period. So I'm going with Dustin Poirier. And then I think he goes on to challenge uh, Charles Oliveira for the belt. So let's see what happens, y'all. Tell me who y'all got in the comment section and do me a big favor. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. I truly appreciate it. My boy. Uh... Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you my boy Shaq's last two picks. He actually picked Gilbert Burns uh, in that Wonder Boy fight, and then he's got Dustin Poirier as well. So now it's time to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So the fight to watch, I mean, you know, it's obviously the main event, but if I'm going to name something that's not the main event, then I got to go with Ryan Hall versus uh, Ilya Taporia because people are acting like Taporia is not just a serious um prospect but he could potentially be a contender he could potentially be a champion and ryan hall at plus 200 is very intriguing he's got a very unique skill set like how do you train for ryan hall like there's there's not anyone that fights like ryan hall he's a leg lock guy but he throws spin kicks like he's a very unique individual so that's my fight to watch and my fighter to watch is dustin the diamond Poirier. like let's go out there prove that the the second time was not a fluke i mean i don't know how anyone could say it was a fluke i mean dustin's got the most knockouts in lightweight history uh, and look at the guys he's been beating, you know, Max Holloway and O'Connor beat Max too. Yeah, Connor beat a fucking 15 year old Max. I'm talking about 
uh, Dustin beat Max while Max was champ in a five round fight. Um, he also beat Justin Gaethje. Like Dustin's been putting up, uh, he's been putting up numbers. He's been adding names to that resume. And Connor, man, it's a shame because Connor was such an inspirational guy. Connor was that such a badass. Like it's funny because back when I fucked with Connor, and I still look, Connor's a legend. Will always have my respect for what he did for the sport, but. Back when I fucked with Connor, I mean, I was betting him against Aldo. I was betting him against Chad Mendes. I was betting him even against Dustin the first time. And that's when everybody like hated Connor and, you know, they didn't understand what was going on. That's when I loved Connor. But now, like, since that bus incident hitting the old man, and I just, this, you hear the shit he's saying, and I'm just not, I'm just, I'm just not in tune with it. I'm just not feeling it. It, seems, it feels so forced. So now I'm stepping off the Connor train, man. And I've always been on, on Dustin's side since day one, man. Dustin is, one of the most exciting fighters in UFC history, but in addition to that, one of the most skilled. So Dustin is my fighter to watch. Let's see how he handles the biggest fight of his career once again. And there's going to be a lot of hype. There's going to be a lot of pressure. There's so many things going into this. So let's see. Uh, let's see what happens. All right, guys. So let's wrap this thing up. And um, I really appreciate y'all being here. Obviously, thank you so much to my sponsor, Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com. Hit that promo code BATTLE20 for 20% off and free shipping. I'll be back next week for the next car. We'll figure out this issue with Shaq, and you know we'll get it going. And thanks so much to all the fans. Hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button. And again, I'll be back next week. So thank you guys very, very much. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.